What's the magic word? Did you uh, say that as a parent or uh, have that said to you maybe when you were a child? What's the magic word? Can I have some mashed potatoes? What's the magic word? Can I please have some mashed potatoes? And suddenly with this one word, uh, a world of possibilities opens up. Just this little word, please, and I'm in mashed potato heaven. It works when there's an agreement over what the magic word is, but sometimes there's not an agreement over what the, the magic word is. It's like trying to remember that password that you set up 10, 15 years ago, and you've long since forgotten it, and you're going through all the combinations trying to figure what's going to unlock this account. Uh, when I grew up, behind uh, our yard was a field, and it wasn't a, a huge field, but to a 10, 11, 12-year-old boy, it felt like the wild, wild west. And my friends and I would spend entire summers out in this field. We would swing from young green trees back and forth. We called the game radical. Just see how far you could swing before the tree either snapped or it, you went all the way down to the ground. We we played different adventures like we were Huck Finn and, and Tom Sawyer, and we built this tree fort that was like the Taj Mahal of tree forts. And you'd climb up this ladder, this wooden ladder, and you'd come to a, a hatch trap door, which we thought was so cool, and you'd go through this trap door and you'd get into this, you know, was pretty dirty, moldy fort, but we thought it was awesome. And one of the things we'd do is we'd, we'd go up in there and close the hatch and lock it, and then eventually one friend would be late, and he'd come, and he'd climb up that ladder, and he'd get to that door, and it was locked. We'd do the what's the magic word game. What's the magic word, please? Nope. That's not it. Keep guessing. Oh, abracadabra? Nope, that's not it. Your mama? Nope, that's not it. And of course, there was no magic word. We would just keep doing this until finally that person got so frustrated that we had mercy and they'd throw out a word. We'd be like, that's it. You got it. And, and we let them in. So we have been in a series, Draw Near, Draw Near to God and He Will Draw Near to You. That is an incredible promise that God has given us. As we draw near to Him, He draws near to us. So the question I want to raise today, is that a promise that is activated by a magic word? Do we need to have the right key in order to draw near to God? Years ago, probably 13, 14 years ago, we began uh, children in worship in our church. So at this time in the service, we dismissed the kids three through kindergarten, and they'd go to a a worship service designed for them. And one of the things they did in that worship service uh, was they would all pray. And we had this tradition where there was a Bible uh, that they had, and when they had the Bible in their hands, it meant it was their turn to pray. And of course, if you didn't have the Bible, you had to, to be quiet and listen. And one of our uh, first children in the program, his name was Brecken, uh, he took the Bible when it was his turn to pray, and he did this. And he began to pray. You know, dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for my mom and dad. Amen. And it caught on. <laughs> and so the next person who got the Bible 
dear Jesus, da, 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 da. and it became a thing. It became a thing, not just for like that season. For years, Brecken was like in middle school, and kids are still going. <laughs> you would think if you were an outsider and you were just watching, you would think that we are teaching the children that in order to come before God, you must take the Bible and put it to your forehead like it's some kind of antenna and, and tune into God and, and pray. Now, it's just hilarious. But I do wonder, I think it does raise the question, what do you think that you've got to do in order to get God's attention? What do you think that you have to do in order to get his attention in order to be heard, in order for your prayer to work, is there a key that you need or is there a, a magic set of words, some phrases, maybe a pattern of your prayer that you need to do? So we're going to turn to a story from the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 18, to answer that question. And I'll just lay my cards on the table. I do think there are some keys but I don't think it might be the keys that we think. So join me as we pray for the reading of God's word. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word, and we ask today that your word would be our rule, that your spirit would be our guide, and that your glory would be our, our number one desire. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to turn to 1 Kings 18. It's a great story, but it's a long story, and so I want to summarize just a, a portion of it before we turn to the text. There's two main characters that, that we need to know in this story. The first is Ahab. Ahab is the king of Israel, and he's described as a wicked king. Last week, we talked about being double-minded, Ahab is a double-minded king. So he's a worshiper of the one true God, and yet he's also begun to worship Baal, this pagan god. And the worst thing about that is that as the king, he's leading all of Israel right along with him. They are just following him into his double-mindedness, worshiping God, also worshiping Baal. Back to that monkey bar image. It's like they're holding on to one bar and they're, they're also thinking they can get to the other side without letting go of that bar. They think it's workable, but it's not workable. The other character is Elijah. It's a prophet that God has raised up and, and Elijah is the prophet of the one true God and he's constantly confronting Ahab. And so there's some animosity between Ahab and Elijah. They don't necessarily like each other. And so in the passage today, there's a confrontation where Ahab and Elijah meet, and Ahab accuses Elijah of being a troubler of Israel. You troubler of Israel and all-around pain in my tail. And Elijah responds, oh no, Ahab, it is you that is the troubler of Israel and the pain in my tail. And, and so they, they, they go at it, and, and Elijah says, you know, you are not only going astray yourself, but you're leading Israel astray. You're leading Israel into your double-mindedness, into your idolatry. So who's the, the bad guy? Is it Ahab or Elijah? And who's the one true God? Is it Baal or is it Yahweh? And so Elijah proposes a, a contest to answer that question. 
And that contest is going to be around an animal sacrifice. We're going to create an altar, and, and you're going to get your 450 prophets of Baal, and they're going to pray to their God that he'd consume the sacrifice, and, and I'll pray to my God that he'll consume the sacrifice, and whichever God answers, he's the, the true God. So we're going to pick it up at verse 20. 1 Kings 18, verse 20. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel, and he assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people, before the Israelites, and said, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. So 450 prophets are gathering. The Israelites have come together for this showdown. And during this, this uh, time before the sacrifice, Elijah decides to turn to the Israelites and say, come on, folks. How long are you going to keep thinking that this is a workable solution? How long are you going to worship Baal I mean, if Baal's God, fine, follow him. But don't wake up in the morning and, and pronounce the Shema as Israelites do. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Don't, don't pretend that, that you are worshiping one true God while you're also worshiping Baal. You've got to pick a side. And the people said nothing. I don't think they wanted to be confronted about their idolatry. Elijah, just stop shining the light on us. Go away. It, it is a fairly human tendency. We, we all have idols, and we don't like the light to be uh, turned on them because we love our idols. So the people say nothing. Verse 25. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first since there are so many of you. I mean, this is 450 against one. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. And so they took the bowl given them, and they prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And so then they began to, to dance around the altar that they had made, the TikTok dance. At noon, by the time it gets to noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Perhaps he's deep in thought, or he's busy, or maybe he's traveling, or, or maybe he's sleeping, and he's got to be awakened. And so they shouted louder, and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered no one paid attention. 
So let's just replay the, the keys that they tried, the, the magic words that they tried. From morning to noon, they called on God, Lord, answer us. They pleaded with God, so they tried the key of longevity. Like, if we just stay at it for three hours, that's going to get Baal's attention. But that key didn't unlock the door into Baal's presence, and, and so they tried urgency, uh, fervency. Lord, answer us. Don't you see how, how zealous we are? But that key didn't unlock the door. And so they tried a new key. They began to dance around the altar they made. Maybe if they danced the right jig with the right spirit, they'd get their God's attention. But that key didn't work. So they tried yet another key. They shouted louder. Let's raise our voices. Let's show Baal that, that we mean business. Surely he's going to hear us if we shout loud enough. That key doesn't work. And so now they decide to pull out all of the stops. They begin to slash their body with swords, pierce their sides with spears until blood flowed, as was their custom. So this isn't a one-time thing. This is what they do. This is the key they think they need to turn to get Baal's attention. Still, nothing. So finally, they get more frantic, they're shouting louder, they're cutting deeper, they're dancing more wildly, and they begin to prophesy. I mean, this has the appearance, this is spiritual. Like, looking from the outside in, oh man, there's some, there's, the spirit is moving. They are prophesying. But there's no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Jesus when asked by his disciples, Lord, how do, should we pray? He turned to his disciples and he said, when you pray, don't heap up empty words and phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they're going to be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask it. People who don't know the one true God inevitably believe that there's some key, there's some magic key, there's some magic word, there's some posture of prayer, there's some pattern of prayer that, that we must discover in order to, to unlock that door and get God's attention. But Jesus says the Father's already paying attention. He, he knows. He knows what you need before you even ask. So the prophets, they're exhausted. I mean, just think, morning to noon, midday, and now it's evening. They've been going at it all day long. They are absolutely exhausted. I imagine they're embarrassed. They're probably angry at, at Elijah, who's been taunting them. It's a long day. They're spent, and so they turn to Elijah and say, fine, buddy, let's, let's see you do it. How, how loud are you going to shout? What's the dance that you're going to jig? How deep are you going to cut? What prophecy are you going to utter? And so, verse 36, at that time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, 
Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done all of these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and it also licked up all of the water in the trench. When all of the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried, the Lord, he's God, the Lord, he's God. Yes, I forgot to mention the, the, the note that he had his sacrifice doused with water three times just to make sure no one would allege there's any funny business going on. Fire falls down, consumes the sacrifice, and suddenly those Israelites who said nothing, I mean, they can't say it fast enough, the Lord, he's God, the Lord, he's God. So let's just put the, the two approaches side by side. In contrast to the prophets of Baal, Elijah's prayer, I think, took about 15 seconds. It was a short prayer. It was a, a fairly still prayer. I don't imagine him dancing. It was, in comparison, a pretty quiet prayer. I don't know that he raised his voice. I don't know that he shouted at God. It was a prayer without any self-flagellation. There was no abuse. There was no cutting, no piercing, no, no stabbing. In comparison to the, the prophets of Baal, we might even call this prayer unspiritual. He's not prophesying. It doesn't have the, the, the earmark of, of something that is deeply spiritual. It just looks like one person talking to God. So what it was, was a, a simple prayer, fairly straightforward prayer. It was a, a sincere prayer, a confident prayer, I mean, that, that's a bold prayer. Could you imagine? I've often thought, would I ever put myself in that situation where I am going to put it on the line like God send down the fire so everyone knows? I, I, honestly, I don't think I would. I'm afraid to, to pray that. So it was a bold prayer. It was a faith-filled prayer. It was a prayer consumed with one thing, the glory of God. Let it be known that you are God. This is what's driving Elijah, that you are God. And God sends fire, consumes the sacrifice, and now we've got all these converts, all these people that can't let go of that monkey bar fast enough to get over to God's side. The Lord, he is God. So here's uh, a takeaway for me. Drawing near to God is not about having the right key. It's about having the right God. Drawing near to God is not about having the right key. It's about having the right God. If God, if the God you worship has a closed door to you, then you do need to come up with the magic word. You need to come up with the right key to unlock that door. But if the God you serve has already opened the door to you, not by your blood being shed, but actually by the blood of another being shed, it was another person's side who was pierced for our transgressions and our iniquities, if he's opened the door to us, then it's not about having the right key, it's about recognizing I have the right God. I have a God who, who welcomes me 
And so I draw near by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for me through the curtain that is his body. I have a great priest over the house of God. Therefore, let us, let me draw near. How? With a sincere heart. And so I think, uh, obviously, the first key is Jesus. If we're going to say there's a key, the key is Jesus. Jesus is the key that unlocks the door into God's presence. Jesus is the name that turns God's face towards us. Jesus, Jesus is that new and living way open for us. He's the great priest over the house of God. He's pierced for our transgressions. He's crushed for our iniquities. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Nobody comes to the Father. Nobody gets through that door except by Jesus. And so we draw near with sincere hearts and we draw near in the full assurance that faith brings. Sincerity and faith. So what does it mean to draw near to God with a sincere heart? I think what it means is that it's got to be you who's coming before him. You, some people, you, you pray with them or you get the sense like, who are you when you start to pray? Like, where did you go? Because this person, I don't know this person. Like we have this idea that we've got to suddenly change our vocabulary and change our voice. And we, want, we need to send some kind of representative that we think God wants in order to come before him. I don't know that that's a sincere prayer. God wants you to come with your vocabulary in your voice. James says, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. I mean, if you got something going on, bring it. You don't need to leave it at the door. Bring it. If you're cheerful, sing praise. You don't need to check your joy at the door. You don't need to check your happiness and laughter. Bring it with you. If anyone's sick, call the elders. Have them pray for you. There's times where we need other people to draw near on our account. Pray with sincere hearts. Not who you think God wants you to be, but who you are. Because it turns out who you are is the person God loves. Who you are is the person God loves. Draw near the sincere heart and draw near in faith. The verse we're going to be memorizing this week is Hebrews 11.6. It says this, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now that's a tall order. But I think a, a sincere approach to God sometimes looks like that, that man from the Gospel of Mark, Lord, I believe, help me, help me in my unbelief. That's a sincere prayer. It's not about having the right key, it's about having the right God, and friends, we have the right God. We are welcome, the door has been opened. You have a God who delights in you, a God who loves you as a father loves a child, as a mother loves a child. A God who sent his son to bleed for you so that you don't have to. You have a God who has unlocked the door so we can draw near. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we so often are like uh, the man from uh, the gospel that we read in Mark who said, Lord, I, I believe. And there's also a portion of me that is struggling with doubt. Help me in my unbelief. And Lord, I'm so grateful that that passage is in the Bible because it resonates with us. There's times where we struggle. 
Lord, we believe and, and, and we struggle with unbelief. And, and Lord, help us to bring all of that to you in sincerity, who we are, not as some person that we think you want us to be. Lord, what a gift you've given us in, in inviting us to draw near. We praise you for the, the God that you are. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.